gaming and AI and digital is so prevalent in the industry, it is disemboweled the industry that we once knew when I did Divinanit and everybody was part of the Brady train. Now it's a walled in vacuum. As the president of SAG-AFTRA, Fran Drescher is on the front line of the actor strike that is paralyzing Hollywood right now. While the studios may have reached an agreement in the writer's strike, the cameras aren't rolling yet, and one of the main concerns of both unions when they started their negotiations was that the use of artificial intelligence would soon replace real people in entertainment. And this is something that goes beyond the media and entertainment industry. We do see a lot of workers out there that are asking themselves if AI will replace them, right? Uh, if they should be polishing up their resumes. And I don't, I don't think that's, that's the case. I don't, I don't think that AI will, will replace them. But instead, I do see a, a future where workers are using AI as a creative co-pilot to create content. So how should media and entertainment handle the challenges brought by AI? This is a pivotal time in the media and entertainment space where for one of the first times, creativity right which was always the holy grail right content is king the holy grail now can be created or to a degree created at a much less cost and so we're in really uncharted territory but i do think things will never just go back to way they were before and i think it's going to be harder for young talent unestablished talent to really make their uh have inroads I think the job market in the media and entertainment space is going to change. Artificial intelligence isn't just a buzzword anymore. It's the foundation of the next era of business reinvention. AI is already doing some mind-blowing stuff, like writing interview questions for podcasts and jazzing up audio recordings. It can even mimic my voice. Mi voz. Mi voz. Meine Stimme. Ma voix. And that catchy jingle you hear, AI composed it, believe it or not. That's why at Globant, we are going all in on AI, reaching new dimensions to influence every area, industry, and business for the better. Welcome to Unscripted Tech, a Globant original podcast about the trends that are reshaping the technology landscape and how we respond to them. My name is Rebecca Reed, and I'm a digital marketing strategist at Globant. Over the next six episodes, we'll be talking with Globers about how AI is changing the game for companies across all industries. Let's dive into season three of Unscripted Tech. I think that the full spectrum of ramifications for the entertainment industry is something that's yet to be understood. Um, but having that said, I do believe that, at least for me, what's particularly interested is that I think that this technology is incredibly well-suited for the industry because of its ability to work with different modalities and format. Andy Eherbide is a Senior Vice President of Technology at Globin. How does this tie into how it will affect audiences in all of our daily lives in every aspect? It's not on its own in a, in a, in a bubble. It's this along with how our lives will be affected in every step of the way. Sen Moses is a former managing director in the media and entertainment reinvention studio at Globin. Today, we'll talk with Andy and Sen about the way AI is already changing many aspects of media and entertainment, the challenges of incorporating more of its uses into these industries and the way it would affect our everyday lives. And now we're rolling. 
Can we start by providing an overview of how the media and entertainment industries have embraced AI in recent years? What are some key trends or milestones that have emerged? I think that it's fair to say that the use of AI in the industry is, isn't something new, right? And, and it's uh, it's it's fairly present, and it has been for for many years. You know, uh, the industry has been ma matching audiences with advertisers, predicting and reducing customer churn. Uh, predicting the likely success of films at the box office with nothing but the script, right? Uh, creating live captions for live events and using customer behavior to surface recommendations and boost customer engagement. What is new is the rise of large language models or LLM and generative AI, right? Which is a category of artificial intelligence that uses deep learning models to generate novel content in any conventional media format, whether that be text, audio, image, or video, giving minimal human input. Um, and it's also fair to say that even generative AI is, is not all that new. Uh, what is new is that it finally broke out of the labs, right? Um, I guess that we can trace the, the origin of, of Gen AI all the way back to probably 2017 when, when Google released their paper, uh, attention is all you need or all you need is attention. I can never remember that one. Uh, but the genie really got out of the bottle, uh, last November when OpenAI released Jad GPT and everybody went bananas. You know, one thing is I'm listening to Andy. One of the things that comes to my mind is that, one, I absolutely agree with him, that it's now the latest and hottest topic again. But the media and entertainment industry, even before it started really dabbling its toes in it, from a content standpoint, they've been interested in AI for decades now. I mean, I'll just throw out two, and you know, both tended to be dark and a little ominous in their own way. But when you think about the Terminator franchise, when you think about AI by, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg, they were thinking of these things and what could be way before they even touched, you know, their fingers from a data standpoint and how do we monetize things? How do we predict things better? So the industry was fascinated with this even before the know-how was really there. So the imagination and the creativity was there. Obviously, it took a, you know, very dark turns in some of those films. But um, that's the only thing I would add to what Andy said. But I do agree with him that today is a very interesting time uh, as studios and networks are trying to figure out really how to more smartly use and spend their money both from a client, um, a customer acquisition standpoint, retention standpoint, and a content development standpoint. That's a good segue to my next question. From a content development standpoint, how, how is AI being used to assist or even create from scratch content in the industry? If we zoom in specifically on generative AI, because that that's what generative AI is all about, right? Being able to generate novel content. I think that's there's already some some good examples. Uh, if we take the gaming industry, uh, for instance, uh, I got two boys, uh, and there's this video game that they can't get enough of, right? Uh, Minecraft. So Minecraft has recently released uh, a, a feature called uh, GPT-3 Craft that allows users like my kids to generate structures and items within the game. Uh, Roblox is also a very popular video game. 
it's also leveraging generative AI to create game levels. Now, if we switch to the film and TV industry, uh, Disney, for instance, has DH Mark Hamill's voice for The Mandalorian. Uh, they also DH Harrison Ford in the latest uh, release of Indiana Jones. Um, and switching to other uh, more newer providers, if you will, uh, Netflix Japan used AI to create background images for uh, their anime called The Dog and the Boy, uh, which if you haven't seen, I recommend it. It's a, it's a short video. It's, it's, it's less than, than three minutes, but it's it's quite interesting so we can all understand you know, the potential of the technology. Um, also Marvel Studios uh, for their uh, show The Secret Invasion. The opening credit scenes, uh, they um, all the images are coming from generative AI. Um, and there was a lot of controversy um, online as a result of that. But you know what they say, uh, you know, no publicity is bad publicity. Those are just some examples to me. You know, um, I want to take this one step farther. I think everything Andy said makes a lot of sense and is happening. But the way I've been viewing the industry, it's kind of, you know, if, if you're s dipping your toes in a cold lake, you know, your first reaction is kind of a knee-jerk pullback reaction. And I think that's kind of what's happened initially, but it, it, it's changing very rapidly, and I'll, I'll give you an example. From a content creation standpoint, you know, there's been writer strikes, um, etc. you know, in Hollywood, and people are very nervous about this. But now what's starting to happen after that first dip in the water, and I think it's, it's not a balanced scenario, but for example, um, for the talent, some of the talent for, that Andy mentioned, uh, whether it be um, Harrison Ford or let's take James Earl Jones, um, uh, uh, you know, where voices are very recognizable. And, you know, as you get older, voices change. But yet if they can capture that, people are now saying, or a Tom Cruise, they're icons, and they can now, generative AI can really keep things going for them. And the questions now are, let's not do it, but how do the actors uh, and the talent get their cut? They don't have to do as much work. Longevity can be there. How do they get their cut? So when it was initially a knee-jerk reaction from a lot of talent, now some are saying, how do we do it? How do we take advantage of this? As long as they get their representative, you know, portion of profits, right? Uh, I'll give you an example. The Sinatra estate. How can AI, generative AI, be used for Frank Sinatra? And you think of that. Now, that's, again, iconic. I think where things will suffer a little bit or the talent that will suffer is the uh, let, I'll call it less skilled or less experienced actors, or less experienced um, writers who, where generative AI can kind of take over from them versus the you know very recognized talent, whether it be on the writing side, right? So when it's something that needs to be created that's fresh and new, that's a lot different than um, you know taking things that. It, or been, I want to call it rehashed, but um, 
So I, I think there's kind of a split situation going on from a content creation standpoint, but there's no doubt that generative AI could make things a lot less expensive because we see all of these um, studios, whether it be a Netflix, an Amazon, a Paramount, you know, they're spending billions of dollars to acquire, you know, talent, right? And acquire and create new content that will bring in new audiences. So I think it's a double-edged sword. So Hollywood screenwriters started their strike in May, and they just reached a tentative agreement with the studios. They demanded, among other things, to ban the use of AI for writing scripts. That's that's a very interesting one. And and it's not just the screenwriters, right? Uh, I mean, the writers started their strike in May of 23, but the actors joined shortly after, in, in July. Um, and if not mistaken, the last time that this happened was back in the 60s, right? So the industry is at a complete stop as, as of now. And, and just for everybody to understand the, the, the implications of that, the 2007-2008 writer struck, their strike was estimated to have an economical impact of $2 billions and 37,000 jobs that were lost. Um, and it's just not just media and entertainment. Think about the the domino effect, right? Think about the effect of sets being shut down in in travel and hospitality and and food and beverage, right? So there, there's a lot of adjacent industries that surrounds the the media and entertainment, right? Um, the Milken Institute is estimating the economical impact of this strike in four billion dollars or more, depending on the duration. In to your point, Rebecca, I, I think that it's important to point out that while AI is definitely on the table for discussion, it's it's a lot more than that, right? Um, and and Sen, you alluded to this. Uh, you know, the the writers and and you know the workers are asking also for their compensation and residuals to adjust not just to AI, but also to the changes in the business model that the industry has been through over the past decade or so, right? Uh, with the rise of streaming platforms and and direct to consumer, how will this evolve? I, honestly, I I don't know, but I do wish that they come to terms soon. Because again, when you think about the the implications, and again, thirty seven thousand jobs that were lost lost about fifteen years ago, that's that's huge, and and nobody wants to go through that again, right? Well, four billion dollars. Oh my gosh, that's a huge amount of money at a minimum. Yeah. You know, it is, though, very similar if you really think about it. I think where we're at now, because it is uncharted territory because of generative AI. Uh, Andy said it. There's a lot of issues here and a lot of touch points uh, in, um, you know, the need to be settled and agreed upon, you know, for the talent versus the business side of but one of the things that isn't, and uh, I think Andy Quinn, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. Just like when automation came to factories, right? There is different. This is an evolving world we're at today. This is a pivotal time in the media and entertainment space where, for one of the first times, creativity right? Which was always the holy grail, right? Content is king. The holy grail now can be created or to a degree created 
at a much less cost. Um, and so we're in really uncharted territory, but I do think things will never just go back to the way they were before. And I think it's going to be harder for young talent, unestablished talent, to really make their uh, have inroads. I think the job market in the media and entertainment space is going to change. On a positive note, how has AI improved content personalization and recommendation algorithms for streaming services and other platforms? And what impact has this had on user engagement and satisfaction? You know, um, I started doing doing data in, in late 2003. And, you know, already we were talking about, you know, recommendation engines and, and personalizing the experience. Um, but we've, we've come a long way in the past 20 years. Um, and when I reflect on on, on what what led that change it's essentially you know three things um we have more advanced tools of course right things like generative ai we didn't have that um uh, five years ago um but there's also a lot more data to go around both first party data meaning that data that these companies um you know collect by themselves as well as third party data right data that that is uh purchased licensed acquired etc and on top of that the hardware to process it all, right? So these three factors combined, uh, they're allowing companies to build recommendations and adjust, not, not just to surface recommendations, but to also adjust the experience of the audience in these platforms, right? And, and to Sen's earlier point, content is king. Yes, no doubt about that. I also read recently that, you know, people come from the con uh, for the content, but they stay because of the experience, right? So that's, that's how important it is to personalize the experience and, and recommend the content that's available, right? To boost customer engagement and reduce uh, churn. If, if, if you think about one of these, you know, any of the major platforms, they have hundreds of thousands of hours worth of content. How do, you, how do you choose, right? What do you surface, right? So that, that's why I think that recommendations is, is key uh, for the success of, of any platform. Yes, they will come in because of the content, but ultimately they will stay because of the experience and personalization and recommendation is key. You know, building on that, um, they spend, you know, billions. Each of these major players are spending billions a year. And that's not an exaggeration, right? On content. To Andy's point, getting you to come and tune in. And the experience part is really critical because if they don't keep you, they have to acquire you again at a later time with more new content that they have to pay for. So the experience with all the content that they have, if they can serve it up to you more accurately, tied to your likes, you know, or will be much more efficient for them to keep you once they've acquired you as an audience member. Because if you leave after uh, one series that you, you bought a subscription for and then leave, it's costing them money to get you back, not only from a con new content creation standpoint, but from a marketing perspective and letting you know there's something new. So the idea of efficiency, and once they acquire a customer, keeping them is key. And that's only, as Andy said, through the experience. That's a great point, son. 
um, you know, we've analyzed more than once the difference, the gap between the cost of acquisition and the cost of retention. And to your point, cost of acquisition is a lot more higher. And you can get into the nuances of what is the cost of acquisition per customer segment, right? And then you start combining that with lifetime value. But you're absolutely right. It is it is a lot more cheaper, if you will, to retain an existing customer than to acquire a new one. What are some of the copyright implications of using AI in media and entertainment? Lawsuits. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of this is, so I'm going to start by saying that I am not a lawyer, right? So I'm an engineer. So um, just take this with, with a grain of salt because I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. Um, I mean, right now, out of the box, the content that is generated by AI models isn't protected by U.S. copyright laws, period, full stop. Now, if you if you double click on that a little bit more to, to get a you know a better understanding, because this is a, a very fluid situation, right? So, for instance, the Writers Guild of America, they said that they would allow writers to use AI, right, to kick off initial drafts of scripts, as long as they don't have to share the credits or the the procedurals with an AI co-author, right? And um, now to that point, the U.S. Copyright Office issued guidance back in March saying that for an AI-generated material to be protected by U.S. laws, it has to be altered in a sufficiently creative way, right? In order to constitute human ownership and receive full protection. Now, how do you quantify what sufficiently means? Right. Um, but the bottom line is that if if the output was generated by a machine, the office does not recognize non-humans as authors. Right. Um, so that that's the starting point. That's that's on the on the output side of things. If, if you think about the input, because generative AI, these models have been trained with with vast amounts of data. Right. Um, images text available on on the internet right now you have a lot of creators and companies that are actually suing other companies because they believe that their ip has been stolen by these companies to train their model as an example getty images is currently suing stability ai the company that's behind stable diffusion claiming that they unlawfully scrape millions of images from their site without their consent right so um, if you think about it, right, if, if you are a consumer, if you're using these tools without transparency on the data ingested to train those models, how comfortable do you feel about using the tools, right? Knowing that that exposes you to ethical concerns, but also legal concerns, right? Um, and also, let's not forget that a lot of these models do not allow you to commercialize the output, right? So... All this to say, it, it, it's a hot mess, to be honest. I mean, companies, courts, and even the United States government are actively trying to figure this one out. And I think that is one of the main reasons why why corporate America is not fully embracing generative AI, right? Because there's still a lot that needs to be answered from a legal and copyright perspective. You know, if you even think about what's going on in the past, whether it be the Beatles with Sting, with in especially in the music industry, one or two notes that could be shown to be used by someone else 
could end up in a real serious residual situation and back payment situation. So now when you talk about generative AI and machines doing this and all of it coming from other sources that were created by humans, hot mess is a great way to say it. And I think the people that will really, for many years to come, really profit from this are the lawyers, to be honest with you. Because there's there are no precedents, uh, and I think uh, it could get real messy. So I agree 100% with Andy. So do you have thoughts on how organizations can navigate these issues responsibly? Well, I can tell you, Rebecca, that you know I've been working in the industry for 20 years, right? Um, and by far, this past year has been the year that I've been more closely working with with legal and compliance, right? Uh, because they really understand what the technology is, how the technology works, where is the data stored, how is the data going to be used in, in the future, who owns the output, right? So I, I do believe that companies as of now, they're doing the right thing. They're being cautious. They're, you know, providing guidance to their employees to be careful not to upload sensitive and confidential information to these models, uh, while also encouraging them to further investigate the technology, right, with their own personal accounts, with their own personal data, right, um, data that is not sensitive, um, you know, by by companies. So I, I think that they're they're approaching this in a, in a smart way. When when I say that. This is one of the main reasons why companies are holding back. And, and I think that it's the smart thing to do from that perspective. Uh, corporations need to be comfortable from a legal perspective before moving forward. But at the same time, as we all know, you know, technology uh, waits for no one, right? Um, so it, it, it's why of, wise of these companies to protect their um, IP and their production environments while also encouraging workers to further investigate this technology. So they don't completely lose momentum. You know, uh, Rebecca and Andy, I want to throw out kind of a, a, we'll we'll go to a side street here for a second. How about the news networks in fake videos that would come in, you know, obviously the CNNs of the world, the Fox News of the world, the NBC News, the MSNBCs, and especially as we get into an, uh, you know, in the United States, moving towards an election year, there's a could be a lot of fake content coming their way. You know, and that's another thing. So it's not only copyright issues, but I think there's the whole thing of, you know, uh, fake content, and how do you validate that before you use it or build a story around some kind? And with the pace of the news cycle, I, I can imagine that is going to be really hard because they're so used to getting things up so quickly and so fast that th- there's a more intense vetting process that's going to have to take place now. I agree. I, and I don't think, I don't know if it will. That's the thing. I mean, we, we already have so many issues with, with you know, with, uh, with deep fakes and fake news, even without this technology. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of questions of, of, of what's to come in that regards. You know, one other thing I want to add um, to this 
from the copyright perspective, um, in in you know in in the content standpoint, you know, just like the, I know that many of our clients are talking, some talking together, some other groups talking about the formation of picture an organization like the MPAA, right? Motion picture, uh, you know, for motion picture world. But think of that from a governance standpoint uh, on AI. So people are already on our client side talking about that. Um, hasn't gotten anywhere yet. But um, in Globant, we have been in a few of these initial conversations. It's being part of that. But a consortium, if you will, um, could be a very interesting governance model, similar to uh, some existing things uh, in the industry today. So more on that, you know, we have to stay tuned and see how all that evolves. Yeah. So, I mean, there's been a lot of change happening, obviously, over the last several years. But how do you envision the role of AI in the industry evolving over the next five or even 10 years? Uh, what emerging technologies or applications do you see as having the most potential to transform the industry? That's a big question. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm thinking on that one because the reality is that we're talking about, specifically talking about generative AI, right? Which is what everybody's talking about these days. Um, you know, it, it it's only been around, you know, publicly available for the past eight to nine months or so, right? Um I mean, honestly, I can't even picture where we will be in the next year or so. Forget about five to 10 years, right? Um, I think that the full spectrum of ramifications for the entertainment industry is something that's yet to be understood. Um, but having that said, I do believe that, at least for me, what's particularly interesting is that I think that this technology is incredibly well-suited for the industry because of its ability to work with different modalities and format, right? It's, it's not just text. It, it also generates novel audio, images, and, and videos, right? Now, if we think a little bit about the adoption, right, and where we are right now, um, I think that it's fair to say that at least in the film and TV side of the house, uh, generative AI is more present in post-production stages, like visual effects, uh, but not as much in pre-production tasks. And, and I think that there's, there's, there's opportunities there, right? So using AI to generate and iterate story ideas and, and support research and generate imagery for concept art and, and storyboards, right? But also what's, what's clear besides the, you know, the, my belief that, you know, this technology is a perfect fit for the media industry. Um, I think honestly that this technology has the potential to change the world as we know it, right? And and not just this industry or or two or three. You know, to quote Bill Gates, uh, he recently said that the age of AI has begun, right? And he compared the implications and repercussions of this technology with the invention of the steam engine and electricity and even information technology, right? And uh, and I, I honestly think he's right. I think that we're entering a a, a new revolution in our modern times. Yeah. I have to say that I don't think anyone, I, I think the way Andy articulated is great. I mean, the bottom line is it's going to move so fast now. Uh, no one really knows what it's going to be like, what the effects really are. And I do think 
the critical part of what Andy said is how does this tie into how it will affect audiences in all of our daily lives in every aspect. It's not on its own in a, in a, in a bubble. It's this along with how our lives will be affected in every step of the way, right? Uh, you know, it's interesting that in many ways, media and entertainment has helped form culture, right? Uh, it has been a representative, at least in the United States, is how most people around the world know and view the United States, right? Um, you know, we're cowboys, we're this, we're that, you know, whatever the latest film is. Um, you know, and in many ways, it's a glimpse into a culture. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens as AI and generative AI affect our lives in all aspects, including media and entertainment. How is the increased use of AI in media and entertainment affecting the workforce in the industry? What skills will be in demand for professionals as AI becomes more prevalent? I think that that brings us back to the writers and, and actors strike, right? Um, look, I, I think that there's a legitimate basis for concern, okay? Um, so Sam was talking about um, voice cloning. That is super easy to do with the technology that we have today. Not not a year from now or five years from now, today, right? So I think that it's that's important that we protect the talent and ensure fair compensation and, and clear consented use of an actor's personal AI. Not just the voice, but their their face, their facial expression, their there are, some people are calling it they're you know not digital trends because that term is taken but digital doubles right or AI doubles um, now and, and this is something that goes beyond the media and entertainment industry we do see a lot of workers out there that are asking themselves if AI will replace them right uh, if they should be polishing up their resumes and I don't I don't think that's that's the case I don't I don't think that AI will will replace them. But instead, I do see a future where workers are using AI as a creative co-pilot to create content, right? I think that adding AI tools to the creative process and to the you know content creation pipeline, I think that it will improve efficiencies and productivity, uh, allowing for more ideas, faster turnaround times, reducing manual and repetitive tasks, you know, the boring stuff. Um, so I think that these workers, if I think about what skills, you know, they, they will be, they will need to hone in. Um, I think that they will be using natural language to design more effective prompts, which is something that in the industry is, is currently known as, as prompt engineering. But essentially it's, it's a way that these workers will interact with coding assistants or image generators, right. And, and obtain an output right now that output still needs human intervention right it needs you know vetting it needs reviewing so quality evaluation and editing skills will become more relevant than they are today i'm sure that you know many of you have heard about the terms of you know some of these models hallucinating creating output that sounds great but it's completely false Right. Uh, or even image generators, some of these tools, you know, every now and then they'll, you know, you'll get an image and, you know, there might be missing a limb or persons with, uh, with 
three fingers instead of five, right? So I think that human vetting and editing skills will be super important. Um, and I also think that we need to educate the workforce to determine when, why, and how to use AI to deliver strongest results, right? And it's I'm not saying that everybody out there needs to go out and and study programming and and start you know uh, an advanced course on on AI. It's it's not about teaching them how to build AI or how AI works. It's about teaching them how to best use AI. Uh, my sales hand is going to go on for a second. Okay. I think this is a critical time, Rebecca, to your question. Two things I think are going to happen, and I already see them starting to happen. I'll use this phrase, chief AI officer, okay? I think you're going to start seeing some people being hired close to seven figures in studios, at networks, to try to manage this as best as possible. But I think the real opportunity is for clients uh, for in this space to use companies, especially like Globant, who are at the forefront of this because we can do the things today instead of them building their own departments to really work with them and do the things that Andy said. How do you use this? How do you best maximize? How do you best monetize? all the way down uh, you know, uh, the pipeline from creation all the way to distribution, to client acquisition, and retention. So cutting across that whole uh, life cycle from the moment something's conceived using AI is partially, uh, all the way through the production to distribution and I think to uh, ultimately consumption. So I think the opportunity uh, to get a head start of this is not just building their own workforces to do this, but to use companies like Ovid who are at the forefront of um, generative AI and how it is used across different industries, even um, you know, to to help them navigate this in real time. Because as Andy said a, you know, a few questions ago. It's only been about eight months and it's going crazy already. The genie's out of the bottle. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I would say that um, one thing that, that we always like to say is that, you know, AI is, is not this magic box, you know, full of magic that you just, you know, sprinkled magic dust and, you know, magic things happen, right? Um, we, we have to look beyond the technology and specifically when we're talking about about corporate use cases, right? We need to explore the intersection of what AI can do because it can do many things, but it can do all and to varying degrees, right? But we also need to overlay that with what actually adds value to companies, right? So that's that's one thing to to keep in mind. And also that beyond the hype, AI is is another technology. It's a very powerful one, but it is a technology, which means that it's a tool. And at the end of the day, the results will depend on the hand that wields it. And we firmly believe that it's not one or the other. It's not humans versus machine. It's not about, 
you know, um, people being displaced by by the workforce. It, for us at Globin, it's all about how AIs and humans come together to cooperate and, you know, enhance mankind. Indeed, Andy. As they mentioned, the genie is out of the bottle, and the movie about the revolution AI is bringing to media and entertainment is just beginning. But they both mentioned that along with the use of this tool come challenges that are yet to be addressed and features that will dramatically change these industries. This was Unscripted Tech, a Globant original podcast in collaboration with Posta. This podcast was produced by Guido Scolo, written by Roque Casiero, and edited by Nacho Ugarteche. Our executive producers are Luciano Banchero, Diego Del Agostino, and Juan Manuel Geraldez. Our content strategist is Georgina Portes, and I'm Rebecca Reed, marketing strategist at Globin. To learn more about how we seek reinvention, go to Globin.com and follow our show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.